The Keystone XL pipeline project has long been a sticking point in both Canadian and American politics. It's been a hot potato for successive American presidents, and Alberta Premier Jason Kenney bet big on it with more than a billion in investment plus loan guarantees. But now the new U.S. president has put a stop to it. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Herald columnist Chris Varco joins me to discuss Joe Biden's motives for cancelling the project, what the ramifications are for Canada's oil industry, and what it means for Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. Don't forget you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Chris, as he said he was going to do, new president Joe Biden did revoke the permit allowing Keystone XL. Essentially, it was the permit that would allow it to cross the border. Why did he make the move to kill this project? Well, this was a promise that Joe Biden had made back in May when he was still campaigning to become the president. But it also harkens back to his days as the vice president under then-President Obama, when John Kerry was the U.S. Secretary of State, where they didn't want to see this project go through, primarily on climate grounds. This was a very symbolic move, particularly something that Biden could do and offer the progressive environmental wing of the party at really no cost to the United States. Obviously a tremendous cost to Alberta and to Canada, but no cost at all to the United States. So that was one of his first acts was to sign this executive order that revokes the permit and basically will require that pipeline to uh, not operate. And maybe that pipe particularly that goes across the border to be pulled out of the ground. But given the U.S. has no shortage of pipelines and given that there are oil refineries in the U.S. that can take Alberta heavy oil, they have capacity. Like, what is it about Keystone? Is it just that it's symbolic that Alberta's oil is seen by many in the U.S. progressive movement as just the worst possible thing out there? And they can just, with a strike of a pen, just kill the project and we're good and we can signal to our supporters, hey, look what we did. I mean, I think there's a very high symbolic nature to this action. You have to go back, you know, to 2010, 2011. I think many of us remember when you had celebrities marching out front of the White House and being arrested. Is that this, as I say, really became a symbol of the move to try and stop the expansion of the oil sands production. And the way to do that was to choke off the infrastructure. Now, of course, the fallacy of that statement is that the oil will get to market if there are other ways to get it there. And trains, moving it by rail, is one mechanism. So... That oil will still be demand for, particularly down in the refining hub in the U.S. Gulf Coast. They need more Canadian heavy oil. We've seen less competing oil come from Venezuela and Mexico. So there are requirements for that oil, and there will be over the years to come. The question is, how do you deliver it? And as I say, this became the symbolic nature of the battle, is that KXL could be killed with really little consequence for the new U.S. administration. And killing Keystone XL doesn't mean that oil won't be crossing the border in pipelines, correct? Like there is a Keystone pipeline currently. This just would have created a new route and increased capacity on that line. Yes, that's correct. This doesn't affect either the oil that goes through the base Keystone system or the other pipelines as well. This really just stops this bullet line that would connect the oil sands, the largest reserves in North America, with the largest refining hub in North America. Yeah. Now, after former President Donald Trump was inaugurated, one of the first things he did was overturn the first time the Obama administration killed the project. What made 
TC Energy and Alberta and Canada hopeful that this would stay in place, that this would continue to get built, that we may see oil going through this new line in a couple of years? Well, I think you used the right word, which is hope. And as we all know, hope is not much of a strategy. The investment that Alberta had made and that TC Energy went along with was that I think they were hoping, as, as Premier Kenny said, is that, that they get construction going. If they actually get the cross-border section completed, and it was completed last year, that you would create facts on the ground and it would make it difficult for a new Democratic administration to stop the project. Of course, Alberta made its investment at the end of March. It wasn't until May that Joe Biden came out and said that they would kill this project. I think there was always hope that Alberta and Canada could make the argument, along with TC Energy, that if they do this project in a different way, if they reduce the emissions from it, if they get union agreements down in the United States, which is supported, that there would be ways that they could tie this into a broader climate strategy between Canada and the United States. And that's how the Canadian government, I think, was really hoping to pitch it. But of course, it never got to that stage because this got killed uh, within a few hours of uh, a new president taking office. Now, after word came out over the weekend that once Biden was inaugurated, he would turn around and revoke the permit for it, TransCanada, TC Energy, put out a release saying that, well, this would have been the first net zero pipeline. Had that been reported before? I don't recall seeing that ever before. And it seems striking that this is kind of an 11th hour play by them to say, well, this would have been actually one of the most environmentally friendly pipelines. What happened with how this whole process was done, that we have communication like this at the 11th hour. Where did all of that lobbying and PR kind of break down? I think we saw an attempt by TC Energy over the last several months to try and build a broader base of support for this project. As I mentioned, they'd had agreements with four large unions in the United States to back it. There was negotiations and they were going to have equity ownership stake being purchased by Natural Law Energy, which represents, I believe, five First Nations in Canada to buy the project. There was talk about making this a net zero project on an emissions basis. But what we saw on the weekend was a promise to actually use renewable energy to power the pumping stations, which that was new. But it was too little and it was too late. Now, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the Alberta government's investment in this pipeline, essentially the government was kicking in about one and a half billion dollars plus six billion dollars or so in loan guarantees. How much has the province actually put up towards the project? And are we still on the hook for any? And what does this mean for Jason Kenney in terms of picking winners and losers in the oil patch? Well, you're right on the, on the figures. Alberta had agreed to put in $1.5 billion in an equity investment and then $6 billion in loan guarantees, which began this year. Now, it's my understanding that not the entire $1.5 billion was invested last year due to just some scheduling issues. The Premier said earlier this week that Alberta's exposure was about a billion dollars and that the loan guarantees, I believe, were in the neighborhood of about 150 to 200 million dollars so far this year. Those will obviously, there'll be no further loan guarantees because work on the project has now been suspended. Speaking to the second question, why the government did this, I think really this was an attempt to try and get construction going and hopefully, as I say, you know, get facts on the ground as far as the Alberta government was concerned and that this project would get through. But the issue is this was always going to be a risky investment. That's, in fact, why TC Energy didn't proceed with this on its own. That's why the Alberta government was basically putting in the money to get construction going this year. So there was always going to be a political risk factor here. And that was if the Democrats won, 
that they might stop the project. That's in fact what happened. This also goes to underscore the fact that whenever government gets in the business of private industry, there's always a big risk factor. And we can go through, you know, the decades in Alberta to look through cases of where the province of Alberta has lost money investing in projects, private industry projects, and specifically energy projects. So you said earlier that oil, as long as there's a market for it, is still going to get to market. And there's oil by rail, there's still oil going through the pipeline. But the idea of a larger capacity pipeline project transporting Alberta oil kind of more efficiently and more quickly, what is the hit for the province without that project going ahead? Well, if the project doesn't go ahead, that means that the oil is going to have to find other avenues to get there. Some of it will go accrued by rail, which is more expensive. That means there's a deeper discount that will face producers. So it makes it more expensive and they'll get less revenue. The other thing it will do is it will mean that there'll probably be less investment going into the oil patch and the oil sands in the short and medium term because producers will look at the economics and decide that they don't want to add additional uh, productive capacity to the oil sands. So that's kind of the bigger hit. The Alberta government likes to quote the figure of $30 billion. That is the estimate that they say that the Alberta government would generate in additional royalties and additional taxes if KXL had gone ahead. And that figure, obviously, I believe is extended over 20 years. So out of all this, Jason Kenney looked quite frustrated. He had suggested earlier in the week that there is a potential under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that we could file a complaint and we could recoup costs. And then he was talking on Wednesday about sanctions, wanting Canada to invoke sanctions against the United States. Does Canada have any recourse under USMACA, as, as I like to call it, or is there any sense that Canada would even consider sanctions against the U.S. over this decision? Well, I think the Alberta government will try and attempt to recoup its money. And there's a couple of ways that I understand it, talking to trade lawyers, that they can do it. One is, is to file a lawsuit, a takings claim down in the United States federal court. The other one is under the old NAFTA provisions, which still exist, uh, even though that NAFTA has gone away. I, I believe there's sort of a, a sunset clause on these kind of claims that go on for two or three years. So they could try and make an arbitration claim, it's my understanding, under NAFTA. But the lawyers I spoke with uh, earlier this week say... There's probably not a great likelihood of winning that. The United States has never lost and had to pay under those NAFTA arbitration claims. So that means that it will be an uphill battle. So then it gets down to the question of what other levers does the Canadian and the Alberta government have. We heard Jason Kenney say on Wednesday that the Canadian government needs to try and press the Biden administration to sit down and have a discussion about this. And if they're not prepared to do so, to take some sort of trade sanctions I can't imagine that's something that the federal government is going to want to do. I mean, that it gets into a very sort of risky territory. The fact that we are much more beholden to trade with the United States than they are to us. We don't have a lot of good levers here. And any trade action we take could also end up hurting consumers here. So it gets to be a pretty risky game. And I don't imagine that that's going to be something that the Trudeau government's going to entertain. How important does this make the Trans Mountain expansion. I know that the, you know, the feds bought the project and they're looking at ramping up construction on the project, but there's still a lot of opposition to the project. How important is it to get done? And are there any concerns that people emboldened by success against Keystone could turn around and try and leverage more pressure on the federal government not to go ahead with the rest of TMX? Well, I think it underscores the critical importance of getting TMX built. TMX is a project that is all within the Canadian jurisdiction, within Canadian boundaries. It's something that the Canadian government owns and that they have a fair bit of control over. 
and it gets the oil to a different market. It gets it out to the West Coast where it can be exported to new markets in Asia if that's where the buyers are. So it is a project that Canada has some control over its destiny, unlike Keystone XL. I don't think that the Canadian government is going to change course on TMX. I imagine the pressure will continue against the Trans Mountain Pipeline, but I think that because the Canadian government understands the importance of getting that project done, that this won't change that side of the equation. However, I think this will embolden the action against some of the current projects that are being built in the United States between the United States and Canada. And I'm thinking now specifically of Enbridge's Line 3 replacement project, Work began on that project. Construction began in Minnesota in December. It's scheduled to be completed near the end of next year. There is political pressure that has already been going on against that project for months and months, even going back years. There's also pressure in Michigan by the Michigan governor against the existing Enbridge Line 5 project, where the oil moves from Western Canada to Eastern Canada, but goes through Michigan. There's a fight going on there. I guess there's a question of whether this will embolden further action by the Michigan state governor to try and stop that project. And then the question is, what becomes of that pressure? In a case like that, because the oil is winding up in Ontario, presumably Ontario refineries, Ontario jobs at stake, do you get the sense that there could be more political pressure from Canada on the U.S. to try and say, well, we kind of accept that you had no interest in Keystone and oil that was winding up in your refineries, but this is an important project for us. Can we have some give and take here? That's a really critical question. One of the differences here, and and analysts have been keen to point this out, is that Keystone XL was a symbol. And it was a symbol of a project that hadn't been completed yet. So it was an easy project to kill. It didn't affect consumers. It really impacts Canada and and specifically impacts uh, Canadian producers and Canadian governments. Line 5 is much different. It's an existing pipeline. It supplies energy into Michigan and Ohio and other states, as well as supplying energy to consumers in Quebec and Ontario. So I think this is in, in a completely different realm. And there's been no indications by the Biden administration that they're looking at Line 5 or that they're looking to somehow revoke the permits. Although there are fears in the energy industry that by removing the permit that's already in place on KXL, that it sets a precedent that would allow the Biden administration to do it on other projects if it so wished. Now, one of the things Jason Kenney's talked a lot about regarding this project has been jobs. And obviously, you know, there's jobs in places in Alberta like Oyen and Hardesty, smaller communities. TC Energy would have had a lot of people working on the project on both sides of the border. What is the stake when it comes to workers and number of jobs, both in Alberta and for the company? Well, there's thousands of jobs on both sides of the border, jobs where people were working on pumping stations and pipelines in both Canada and the United States. And that has halted, that has stopped. Uh, You know, we're talking about a couple thousand jobs. It's my understanding that an email went out, Reuters was reporting this morning that TC Energy sent out an email to employees saying that they will eliminate more than a thousand construction jobs in the coming weeks and halt the work on the Keystone XL pipeline because of the revocation of the presidential permit. So there's thousands of jobs and then there's all kinds of spin-off jobs as well in communities like Oyen and along the pipeline route that are going to be gone. And we're hearing from unions already that are upset about this as well. So this has big implications for the provincial government, but it also has big implications for jobs at a time when unemployment obviously is very high right across the country and in the United States as well, I might add. One of the things I've been thinking about since the story first broke that Biden would in fact kill the permit for Keystone XL was the idea that 
the Alberta government for a period had a lot of money tied up in oil by rail contracts. And Jason Kenney made a point of saying, we're going to sell these contracts off. We're going to divest ourselves of these contracts. Knowing what we know now, do you think if Jason Kenney had known sooner that Keystone wasn't going to happen, that he may have said, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should keep these contracts. Does that look like a worse move in retrospect? Hindsight is 2020, but the one thing that the current Alberta government nor the former government of Rachel Notley, which signed those contracts, was going to be what would happen with the pandemic and the coronavirus. And we saw last spring that once the oil price war broke out between OPEC and Russia and the pandemic really crimped demand, is that pipelines actually going to the United States were not running at full capacity as they had been for years. Mm -hmm. So that really undercut the need for crude by rail and the price differential really shrunk. So we'd seen back in previous years where the price differential had blown out to more than $50 a barrel at one point in the fall of 2018, that moved into single digits for a period of time. So crude by rail was not needed and is not needed at least for the short term. It may be needed in the long term as more oil production ramps up. But I think the issues with Keystone XL have not, I guess, made the prognosis for crude by rail in the short term any better. But at the time, it made sense because of the price differential that oil by rail wasn't exactly the safest bet. And it probably made sense to try and get rid of some of those contracts. There was many people in the industry who were calling for the government to look at the crude by rail contracts. Obviously, the opposition weren't. And there were quite clearly some companies which thought it was a bad idea. But there were other players in the oil and gas industry who actually wanted to see the crude by rail contracts go ahead because it would give them more market access at a time back in 2018 and in early 2019 when there was a real need for it. To wrap up, we have Jason Kenney calling for sanctions, looking for recourse. Essentially, though, we may be at the point with this project where it's just time to move on. What does Alberta need to do to kind of reset the agenda on oil and gas? Where does its focus need to be to get things back up and running again? Well, the first thing they've got to do is, along with the Canadian government, have conversations with the United States about the existing pipelines that are in place, including Line 5. They also need to make sure that Line 3 gets through. Uh, that will provide some breathing space for the industry. And then Trans Mountain, in the slightly longer term, uh, will add additional capacity. So between Trans Mountain and Line 3 and some additional efficiencies within the lines that are already in place, you're going to see about a million barrels of additional capacity come online. So those are in sort of the important short to medium term transportation issues. The other thing is obviously we're going to be involved in conversations, Canada and the United States, over climate policy, whether it's the clean fuel standard or the carbon price, methane policy between the two countries. These are other things that are going to be going on. And Canada is obviously going to be looking for some sort of cooperation and some agreements with the Biden administration. And that's going to be really critical to watch to see how that impacts the Canadian oil and gas industry and specifically Alberta in the coming months and years. Obviously, very important discussions will be had in Alberta and Canada. Chris, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Varco. More from him at calgaryherald.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.